0: verses 15 to 20. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Since we'll be uh, considering the Westminster chapter on free will, it is uh, helpful if we focus on some verses that definitely speak about choosing. Verse 15, see I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, You and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Would you then turn, please, to John chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 to 11, the text for the sermon is verses 1 to 6, and uh, I selected this particular text because it is one of the proof texts cited in the Westminster uh, regarding this matter of free will. In um, Article 3, it's a proof text cited, though uh, our copy of the Westminster doesn't list those verses, those uh, passages, but nevertheless it was one that was selected. So John 15... Verses 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the verse that's cited in the Westminster, that, that one there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And then you will find in your bulletin a copy of Westminster 9, the first four articles. And uh, some uh, commentators on the Westminster Confession uh, identify chapter 9 as the start of the Westminster section on salvation, on the doctrine of salvation, uh, dealing with free will to, say, to make it clear that apart from Christ we can do nothing. Salvation only through him, not from us, not through what we do. Article 1. God hath endued the will of man with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. Man, in his state of innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably, which means changeably, so that he might fall from it. Article 3 Man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. And Article 4 When God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so as that by reason of his remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word preached, would you cause us to remember that it is your word to which we are attending. Help us to remember that it is the truth and that it displays your righteous and your faithful character. And Father, for that reason, will you fill us with eagerness to listen to your word and to respond to it in a godly way? Will you enable us to do so? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, uh, some of you might be uh, familiar with some of the writing of the Church Father Augustine. And something rather uh, helpful that he has said on this matter of man's will, it's fairly well known in terms of the... uh, writings of Augustine, for those who know them. It's a fairly well-known aspect of what he taught, and I think it is a very helpful one when we consider this particular chapter in the Westminster. I've mentioned it before from time to time. Uh, Augustine had a fourfold scheme involving the state of man, especially with respect to his will, the nature of his will, before the fall, and then, secondly, in his natural state, the natural man after the fall and then thirdly the condition of the believer and then finally the condition of the believer in glory. Before the fall as Augustine points out man was on the one hand able to sin but also he was able not to sin after the fall however in the next step in this scheme the natural man was still able to sin don't we know that but he was no longer able not to sin he he couldn't help himself after that and then as to the believer God's restoring work through the Lord Jesus Christ means that we as Christians are again able to sin or able not to sin though there is this difference as Augustine knew very well that the Christian is never free of the influence of the old nature that fights against God and for that reason though we are able to resist sin and we are able to do good by God's grace uh, we're never perfect not in this life because of that old nature and then the fourth category in glory we will certainly then be able not to sin but more than that we will from that time onwards be unable to sin at all That's Augustine's scheme, and as I say, I believe it's a very helpful one. It's also the scheme that's being followed here by the Westminster Confession in Chapter 9. Articles 1 and 2 on the pre-fall condition of man. Article 3 on the natural man after the fall. Article 4 on the believer now. And Article 5 on the state in glory. Now our text has implications for at least uh, some of these aspects of man's will in some of those stages, uh, especially in regard of uh, the natural man and that's in that connection that the Westminster actually cites uh, that verse 5 in our text to say that um, man can't do anything apart from Christ. The natural man can't do anything good apart from the Lord Jesus Christ can't do anything good in other words because he doesn't know Christ. So it's cited in that connection but there's also implications in this passage for the state of the believer in the present time and we're going to look at that under two headings. First of all those not connected to the vine and secondly the grace of the vine dresser and the vine and especially that's referring to uh, those who are connected to the vine. So those who are not connected and then God's grace to those who are. In the first place then we see the condition of those who are not connected to the vine to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, which is category 2 in Augustine's scheme and article 3 in this chapter of the Westminster. Article 3 says man has completely lost this ability of his will that he had before the fall this ability to any spiritual good that accompanies salvation. and That word accompany is a, is a very good choice of words here because uh, it's implying that man's willing and doing of good is not in any way the ground or meritorious cause of our salvation. It could never be that. But salvation is nevertheless always accompanied by a willing and doing of good uh, it's accompanied because that is a a fruit of being uh, connected to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, a fruit of salvation is that uh, you will do you will want to do and you will do that which is good in God's eyes and it's that fruit that the Lord Jesus is talking about in this chapter uh, there is in fact a very very big emphasis on fruit bearing it's the major emphasis of this this particular section in our text the word fruit is mentioned some five times and again in the the, the following section so this is a, a major theme here is the bearing of fruit this article in article three in the Westminster goes on to talk about the fact that it's not just that the natural man doesn't bear good fruit the the problem is even bigger than that he's actually averse to that fruit and the word averse is a word that it's a kind of anti-conversion word really it's a word that means uh, opposition to turning opposition to conversion that's the state of the natural man that's how he regards the bearing of good fruit as God defines good fruit he is opposed to turning in that direction often without even realising it. And not just hostile to good, but even, this article tells us, dead to that good. So the natural man is turned away, dead, unable to turn to good, unable to convert himself, to turn, or even, says the Westminster, he's not even able to prepare himself, to kind of soften himself up to make himself pliable so that when God steps into his life, he's kind of ready for it. He's not even able to do that. So it is not like a situation where you're, uh, you're driving, and I've been uh, recently in this situation a few times trying to help uh, some of members of my extended family to uh, get a bit of practice in uh, driving, learning to drive. So it's not this kind of situation where you... You want to do a sharp U-turn in your car and you know the car does most of the work there but the driver maybe braces himself, he's preparing himself, he's getting ready for this action and then he turns the wheel so it's a kind of cooperative thing, the car's doing a lot of the work but the driver's playing his part, he's turning the wheel and the whole car turns as a result. The driver contributes in that way. No, the natural man has no ability and he has no will for turning in the right direction. He has no will for conversion. It must be given to him. That is why in the text the Lord Jesus says, one of the reasons why he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 5. And this is not only true of Good works once you are a christian you can't you and i can 't do a single good work apart from the lord Jesus Christ we wouldn 't be Christians if we we're apart from him and it 's true also of those who have never claimed to be Christians that you cannot do any good apart from him. that is why verse five is cited in connection with the state of the unbeliever the lord jesus doesn 't say, well apart from me you can You can create faith in yourself. You can use your will to convert yourself and then I'll take over the wheel and I'll turn you a little bit further in the direction I want you to go. But you've got to start it. You've got to start turning yourself first. Now sometimes in uh, helping someone to learn to drive, if they start headed in the wrong direction, if you're the uh, one who's helping to teach them and you're sitting in the passenger side, you might have to just give them a little bit of help to turn the wheel a bit faster before they hit some uh, wall or something of that kind but um, here we're not talking about that extra help that's given We're, we're talking about something far more fundamental than that we need to be given a new birth we need to be given a gift of faith in order to convert in order to go in the right direction and then we need more help after that ongoing and continual help in order to do the good works that always accompany the Christian life and apart from that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ there's only death and destruction and this is true we are told in this passage even for those who have pretended faith but who have no true connection to the vine that's the end that they meet if a branch doesn't bear fruit it's removed, verse 2 Anyone doesn't abide in Christ, thrown away as a branch, they dry up, they're cast into the fire and burned. Verse 6, that is true of pretend believers, those who are pretending in Israel, for example, at that time, who were pretending to be branches connecting, uh, connected to the vine, the true vine of God. That's the context here, but it's also true of those who have always throughout their lives openly denied and despised the Lord Jesus Christ. They all meet the same end. Now I want to say a little bit more about the role of man's will in all of this, Uh, not only because that's the subject of the Westminster in chapter 9 here, has the heading free will as we saw, but also because... Uh, as I mentioned, this, is, this chapter in the Westminster is beginning to deal with the subject of salvation by reminding us that we cannot save ourselves. And so it is a really, really important point. And it has implications for this, uh, these things we're talking about, the condition of man in these different circumstances. The text doesn't deal with the subject of free will as such, but it has these implications. For if fallen man had a free will still, in other words, a neutral will, one that was free either to turn to Christ or to reject Christ without any help from God, just had that freedom to do that in their own strength, if that were true, that would be something good that the sinner could do apart from Christ. Yet Jesus' words strongly insist that the branches need to be connected to the vine in order to do any good. There is only life, spiritual life, in connection with him. Sadly, there are many who see this view. Uh, we, we have this, uh, this wonderful gift of life that is given to us as a free gift in this way. And uh, that happens when God himself takes the trouble to connect us to the vine, to the Lord Jesus by his grace and by his initiative. But there are people who hear it expressed in that way and they say, oh, that's a horrible idea. This is some harsh act of force that you are imposing on the Bible. This is a violation of man's freedom of will when you speak in those terms. Man has to be able to do some turning himself. He has to be able to make some contribution or else they will argue you're violating man's free will. I want you to note, however, that Article 1 explains that God did not force Adam and Eve to do good in the beginning. No, he gave them a heart that wished, that willed, that wanted to do good. And God didn't force them to sin, though he gave them the ability to turn, to turn from good. And he didn't build in some flaw that would trigger the fall eventually at some point. For example, by giving them bodies that had bodily appetites, which were bound sooner or later to lead them to grief. No, God gave them, he made them good, perfectly good, body and soul. In fact, the Lord not only created them perfectly good, but he also commanded them to do good and warned them against evil. Just as later he called upon Israel to choose life rather than death, to choose blessing rather than curse, as we read in Deuteronomy 30. And you see, if God were going to force men to do good or evil, irrespective, then he wouldn't need to talk about choice. And he wouldn't need to give them any encouragement or discouragement, encouragement to good or discouragement to evil. If I want my computer to do something, I don't sit there and give my computer a moral lecture. I don't sit there at my desk and say, listen here, computer, if you don't format my page correctly, you're really going to cop it. Or here I'm setting before you the option, computer, of either formatting my page correctly or not. We don't speak in that way because a computer doesn't have a will. I just type in the instructions and at least some of the time... uh, those instructions are followed. I force the computer to do what I want it to do. But God gives a will to man and he engages that will in several different ways. He does it with his good word and by the work of his good spirit. He did that before the fall and he also does it with believers after the fall. Even the words of the Lord Jesus in this teaching on the vine and the vine dresser and the branches even that is uh, appealing to those who hear to encourage them to bear good fruit that emphasis here in this chapter once part of the chapter but the problem of the sinner is that his ability and to do to make that choice to do good as opposed to evil has been shattered the natural man's ability to, to make that choice has been shattered by what happened Uh, at the fall on the part of Adam and Eve and now the only way that that ability can be regained is in the Lord Jesus Christ as seen in what is said here about the vine and the branches that is why we say that we are saved by grace an undeserved gift rather than some well earned reward for making the right choice of our own free will, as they say, the uh, some reward that we earn, or at least partly earn, by using our will in a good way rather than a bad way, without any help from God. No, we see the grace of God in our text, with its emphasis on the vine dresser and on the vine. Our second and final point: the grace of the vine dresser and the vine. The vine dresser is of course God the Father as verse 1 makes clear. The vine dresser prepares the ground, vine, that's what vine dressers did at that time. They prepared the ground, they tended the plant, they watered it, they fertilized it, they restored it when it was damaged or diseased. The vine dresser was also the one who removed the dead branches as verse 2 discusses. The false believers it's referring to. Uh, removed by exposing them by tribulation by church discipline or on the day of judgement or all of those and the vine dresser is also the one who prunes the living branches cutting them back in order to bring about better growth and more fruit. There's that emphasis on fruit that so dominates this, this text. None of this is work that the branches do of themselves it is all a matter of god's initiative and grace though certainly the pruning is something we respond to and the bearing of fruit is something we are personally involved in then of course the vine the lord jesus that's the lord jesus as verse 1 also makes clear there is a unity between the vine and the vine dresser Hence that I am statement that we have here. I am the vine. Uh, I am, that's another translation of Yahweh. As we heard this morning, the word Yahweh is often in the NASB at least, uh, you'd say probably translated as Lord with capitals. But uh, if you want a literal translation of the word Yahweh, it's something like I am being. And so when Jesus makes these great I am statements, there's a number of those in the New Testament, it's a way of identifying himself with Yahweh, the I am God, the I am being God, the eternal, self-existing, unchanging and unchangeable God. And this is one of those expressions. There's also a distinction of persons here with the vine dresser and the vine associated with different aspects of the work of bringing about good fruit on the part of the branches the branches bear good fruit because they are in him verses 2 and 4 because they abide in him and he in them verses 4 and 5 the branches are also cleansed because of his word operating in their lives verse 3 and as noted if they are not in him if they are not abiding in him If there's no faith connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's no good fruit. On the contrary, there's only death and destruction. This obviously has implications about the condition of the believer in this life. Augustine's third category. It implies for one thing that the believer still has an old nature that interferes with his fruit bearing. In Article 4 of the Westminster, we're told that the believer, the converted sinner, is translated by God into the state of grace, freed from his natural bondage under sin, enabled by grace freely to will and to do spiritual good, but, due to his remaining corruption, he doesn't will or do good perfectly. But if the believer were perfect, he wouldn't need to be pruned. And we do. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need to be pruned in order to bear more fruit. We'd be bearing every bit of good fruit we could. Is that pruning then a matter of force? Well, maybe in your garden it is when you take a some shears to your, your fruit trees, but not in the spiritual realm. So how does the Lord accomplish it? Well, he gives us a new nature that desires the Lord Jesus Christ. A nature that now loves the word of God, that desires spiritual good, and even desires to be pruned. There's no force in that. Force is when a a difficult child won't eat the baby food. He doesn't want it. He purses his lips as hard as he can. He spits it out. He knocks the bowl of food on the floor, etc. But parents, very often, they just push that spoon with the food on it into the little mouth and they get that food in there in a sense by force, hopefully not painfully, but by force, a certain amount of force, they get that food into the baby anyway, even though the baby doesn't want it. That's force of a kind. But no, the Lord changes us so that we want the food, so that we want what he gives us, so that we want what he wants. And he engages our will in that process, enabling us to look with love and with gratitude upon the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that we want to be as much like him as we possibly can and we want to please him as much as we possibly can and as a result of that we also desire that where necessary God will prune us and maybe you've even prayed that way ask the Lord to bring out into the open those sins that you aren't acknowledging to yourself and to, uh, to bring them out in such a way, even if it's painful, to bring them out so that they can be dealt with, so you can be more, become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, if that desire is there. To be sure, the Lord also warns us, and that's another part of engaging our wills. He warns us about what happens to those who don't abide in him, to the dead branches. He engages our wills in this way so that we steer, may steer clear of anything that will lead us in the direction of death so that he engages us so that we choose an act of the will life as opposed to death blessing as opposed to curse but that doesn't sound at all like force to me though it's true to say that we cannot do it without God's grace and help congregation this is not this talk about this issue of free will it's not just some academic theological debate this is very important for us as a number of re, for a number of reasons i mean for one thing the consequence of life as opposed to death the choice that is still set before us today that is a a very very significant matter but also to realize that our life our spiritual life is entirely due to the grace of God to the grace of the vine dresser and the vine apart from whom we can do nothing that's a truth that well it ought to at any rate strip away our pride and it does strip away pride and leave us with all the more gratitude to God to realise that what we're doing we're doing because of God's work in our lives it's not us We, we cooperate with that grace in certain respects but it's not something that comes from us as the source of it. And that is a necessary realisation for every office bearer in this room to be able to serve God faithfully. Every office bearer needs to know it's not me. I can do nothing apart from Christ. It's entirely due to God's grace that you can serve. And every missionary likewise. That whatever you do on the mission field, it's not you it's only what God is doing through you, which you cooperate with, Lord willing. And apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And every member of the congregation likewise, to recognise this vital truth. And then there is also a reminder here that good fruits always accompany salvation. Being in Christ and abiding in Christ is always accompanied by sanctification. And sanctification, growing in holiness and resisting sin, is not some optional extra, some icing on the top of your Christian cake that you can either have or not have. So be prepared to be pruned. And as I said, sometimes that's not easy. But even so, it's something we want. It's something we will. Rather than being forced upon us, We want it because we know it brings more growth, more fruit to God's glory and by his grace will make us just a teeny little bit more in this life like the Lord Jesus Christ. Since it is your will as well as the Lord's, first his and then ours following, you can even cooperate with that process of pruning. You can examine yourself. That's cooperating with the pruning process. You can examine yourself to see whether there's something that you've missed that you can pray for or something that you've been praying for a lot that you need to pray for again in order to seek God's help to resist sin to uh, to be uh, able to pursue holiness a little bit more effectively to become more like the Lord Jesus as I mentioned. These, this is not a picture of branches that are shrinking away from the prune's shearers because they are unwilling by being forced to something they really don't want. But those who demonstrate the freedom that Christ has given back to us by the way that we choose to endure pain even for his sake, for the sake of righteousness, for life and for blessing. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, though there are many around us who have put far too much emphasis on the will of man and have failed to see that sin has deadened the will of the natural man, deadened him to the things of God. Many who have failed to see that the, to the extent that they try to carve out a place for man's imagined free and neutral will, to that extent they are preventing themselves from seeing the need of your grace at every point. And, then, and making it more difficult to give you the praise that you deserve for taking all of the initiative in bringing us to faith. Father, though, we, we do want to give you all the praise rather than boasting even in the slightest in man. We admit that part of us still wants to take some credit. We pray that you would work in us to apply more and more this truth that all good comes to the branches from the vine. We pray this in his name. Amen. The Lord is our saviour. He is our rock, our tower and refuge. And men are vain helpers. So are we actually. We're vain helpers. Apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. But with him, he enables us to do what he calls us to, to make a start in it. Salt hymn to 110. We'll stand to sing verses 1 and then 3 to 5. And would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology? 110 stands as 1 and 3 to 5. Our doxology is number three hundred and ten in the Psalter Hymnal. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.